morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. Good to have you with us for our 764th day in God's Word. We're here in Daniel chapter 11, which ranks really high uh, on lists of most confusing and most difficult to understand and interpret properly chapters in the Bible. There's a number of them. But this one's pretty high up on that list. So let's pray and ask the Lord's help before we dig into his word together this morning. Father in heaven, you're good to us. You love us. You give us your word so that we can know you and you intend for us to understand your word and to grow in our knowledge of you and our love for you and our obedience to you. So we pray that you would help us as we come to a passage that's hard for us. But we know that your spirit is sufficient. Your word is sufficient. So we pray for you by your Holy Spirit to make your word clear to us and to help us to see you and love you and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 11. So just to set the context for a minute, Daniel had prayed uh, for 21 days. He had fasted. He finally gets an answer and he gets an answer and the angel who comes to visit him with the answer is saying, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And so here is what is written in the book of truth. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom will be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these." Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up, and her attendants who fathered her and who supported her in those times. And from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold, And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His sons shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, 
and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first, and after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times many shall rise against the king of the south, and the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision. But they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works, and take a well-fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of the women, the daughter of women, to destroy the kingdom. And it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward he shall turn his face to the coastlands, and shall capture many of them. But a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall, and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person, to whom royal authority has not been given. He shall come in without warning, and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time, and he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is not yet to be appointed, to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant and he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, 
though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white, until the time of the end, for it awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many, and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall come into countries, and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver, and of all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. This is Daniel chapter 11, a long and complicated vision of the future. Now the one astonishing thing to note about this chapter, which we've noted about other chapters of visions, is that Daniel receives this vision and he foresees in this vision hundreds of years of human history. Um, the first year of Darius the Mede is when this angelic visitor seems to have received this vision and now he's revealing it. Uh, that would be 539 BC. And it deals with, the culmination of this deals with historical events surrounding the reign of Antiochus IV Epiphanes, which is in the 170s, 160s BC. So, you know, it's hundreds of years in the future. And we're not just told about Antiochus Epiphanes, but we're told about the, the string of rulers that lead up to him. Uh, Darius the Mede, king of Persia. Three more kings arise in Persia, and then a fourth, who's far richer than all of them. Right? This is um, this is when the Persians decide that they're going to go to war against Greece. But then there's a mighty king who arises, 
That is Alexander the Great in verse 3. A mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. But as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken, divided into the four winds of heaven, not to his posterity, not according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. This is this is a vision that we've seen before, going all the way back to chapter 2 in Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the statue with the four parts. Um, Greece is there. You have gold, which is Babylon, and then silver, which is Persia, and then bronze, which is um, Greece, and then iron, which is Rome, and iron mixed with clay, which is the latter, or the transition to the Roman Empire, which is very uh, strong and weak because of the weakness of some of its rulers, right? We had that. And then in uh, chapter 7, we had the vision of the beasts in the night, and Greece was pictured as a leopard with four heads, right? And so it's a four-headed, right? And then we had the vision back in uh, chapter 9, right? With the horn that has four horns and one speaks boastful things. So this is this is now the fourth time we've had this vision, and it's the most expansive one. But it's covering much of the same ground with, with a particular focus on the coming of Antiochus uh, the fourth Epiphanes. And so when it talks about the king of the south, okay, we refer to the king of the south as Egypt, and that's the Ptolemies or the Ptolemaic kingdom. It's one of the four kingdoms that was left after the death of Alexander the Great. And then the king of the north, which is based in Syria and Babylon, is the Seleucids. And so most of this chapter deals only with these two kingdoms. Why? Because these are the two kingdoms that are fighting back and forth and that have control over or influence on Israel. So it's really focused on the glorious land or, you know, the, the great city, Jerusalem, Israel. And it's the Ptolemaic kingdom to the south and the Seleucid kingdom to the north that fight back and forth over this, um, over this area. There's constant conflict between the Ptolemaic and the Seleucid dynasties. Um, the king of the south, who's mentioned uh, in verse 6, is Ptolemy II. And Ptolemy II attempted to make peace with Antiochus II, Theos, uh, the king of the north, and trying to send him his daughter, Bernice, to marry him. And so that's, there was a, an attempt to have a, a marriage alliance, but it doesn't work, okay? Antiochus was going to divorce um, his first wife, uh, Laodice, uh, Laodice, and uh, disherit her son so that she could, so that he could marry Bernice. Um, but Laodice had him poisoned, had him and his and his uh, new to be wife poisoned, and so um, this fulfills these words of she shall not retain the strength of his arm and his arm shall not endure. So there's I'm just telling you there's a lot of detail here, and you could read notes in the ESV Study Bible, or you could read um, a good commentary, um, and you could find out you could go through this whole chapter and get all sorts of detail. You know, verses seven to nine we're talking about a branch from her roots. Um, Ptolemy II was succeeded by Bernice's brother, who became Ptolemy Ptolemy III, um, the branch from her roots. In retaliation for the death of his sister, Ptolemy III invaded the Seleucid kingdom, conquered its capital, Antioch, in Syria, came up against the army, against the fortresses of the king, etc., etc. 
this is all leading up to a king who comes along who is unlike the ones who've come before, right? Um, and this is going to be, eventually it's going to be, we're going to get to um, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, first verse 14, In those times many shall arise against the king of the south, and the violent of your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. This is the Ptolemaic king named Ptolemy the fourth, sorry, Ptolemy the fifth Epiphanes, who is the king of the south. And it says, uh, the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up. So this is a, a rebellion against the Jews, tired of the heavy taxation of, of, uh, of these um, people who were running the land and who were favoring the Egyptians. Um, there was this rebellion, but, uh, but it fails, right? The king of the north comes. This is Antiochus the third, the great. So the father of Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes. He's the king of the north. He fights against General Scopus and the forces of the south at a battle that takes place um, near Caesarea Philippi in, in New Testament language, uh, which is a well-fortified city. And we know this battle took place in 198 BC. So just take take a break and see We've got specific detail about marriage alliances and women who are going to overthrow those who are trying to kill them and then how their relatives are going to get revenge and then how there's going to be this particular battle fought at this particular place. This is all given, you know, 150 years, 200 years before any of this stuff takes place, hundreds of years before any of this stuff takes place. And it's so detailed that, like I said before, a lot of the critics of the Bible say there's no way Daniel wrote any of these last chapters for sure. In fact, real critics of the Bible don't think Daniel wrote any of it, but the book itself is very clear. Not only did Daniel write these things, but when he wrote them and when he received these visions. And we know that the New Testament quotes from Daniel. We know that Jesus quotes from Daniel. And so this is the word of God, and it is a remarkably detailed um, prophecy. So this Antiochus, Antiochus III, eventually takes control of Phoenicia, and Palestine. We see that um, in verse 16. He comes, he stands in the glorious land with destruction in his hand, right? Um, and then, let's see, I'm trying not to get too bogged down in detail. Um, let's just go to uh, these two kings battle. Their hearts are bent on doing evil. Um, that's um, in, in verse 27, and then in verse 28, um, Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, returns to the land. He shall return to the land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land. So when Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, and Epiphanes means manifestation or the manifestation of God or the manifestation of the gods. And so he thinks he is all that and the bag of chips, and he comes back into the land, and he's going to work against God's covenant with his people. Um, and this is this is a lesson, a, a moral lesson, spiritual lesson for us. We can draw directly from this chapter, and that is this corrupt king, who really just is in love with himself, and who thinks he's better than everybody else, and who's taking over, and who's offensive against God. What does he do? Well. He turns back and he pays attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. 
forces appear from him and profane the temple and the fortress. He takes away the regular burnt offering and they set up the abomination that makes desolate. He seduces with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Antiochus IV Epiphanes knew that there were faithless Jews, those who named the name of the Lord and who played along with the game, but who didn't really believe any of this stuff. And so he knew to use flattery and bribery and get them on his side. And he's able to even take away the worship of the church. When the church looks to the world and becomes very worldly, we can become very, very corrupted by those who are in power who make promises to the church, promises of influence, promises of power. And we, do, we can neglect the worship of the one true God. Part of what it means to worship God is to trust him wholeheartedly that he will do what he says he will do. Um, and But there's always going to be people among the people of God who know their God, the holy remnant, the faithful ones, the ones who are elect. And the people who know their God stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall some stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. For us, living in the New Testament age, living under King Jesus, living in this time, we've been told that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We've been told that the world will hate those who belong to Jesus. But still, we can stand our ground, stand firm and take action. And we can be those who are wise among the people and who make many understand. We can still be committed to teaching and leading God's people. Um, however, it's the case that among God's people, there are those who will join in with flattery. And that is, that's just the sad reality of what we see, that the world can seduce many you know, what pressure and the threat of persecution and even the threat of warfare cannot accomplish, flattery can accomplish. So beware of flattery, someone who's buttering you up and puffing up your pride because it's often there just to make you fall. It's often Satan's strategy to destroy God's people. So at the end of this chapter, it seems to be, this is the my best understanding of it, it seems to be that we go from a focus on Antiochus IV Epiphanes to a focus on someone who is a bigger, more powerful ruler. Some people have said this is the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness or the son of perdition, the one who comes at the end of all things to lead people away. Because by the time we get to the end of this chapter, we have come up to the end. So what happens sometimes, I've referred many times to the collapsed horizon of biblical prophecy. And what happens sometimes is there could be a figure who appears within history who is so significant, so typologically significant, so uh, analogically significant, analogies and types are things that foreshadow and that um, have a reflection of things yet to come. And so that's what Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes is. He's kind of a, a type of Antichrist or a type or a reflection of, uh, and I don't even like the term Antichrist because it's actually not used in the Bible um, of the one at the end. It's the man of lawlessness from 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 3 to 4. It's the son of perdition. It's it's the beast who leads the, the world astray. 
Uh, so I think Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes is like a preview of this greater guy who's going to come sometime in the future still. Um, and because the death, the one thing that doesn't really line up with Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes is the death. Um, Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes died in a relatively minor campaign against Persia in 164 BC. Uh, he didn't die between the sea and Jerusalem after a grand and, and successful assault on Egypt, which is what's pictured here. So this, this is a just taking the figure, the historical figure of Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, and using him as a type of Antichrist, or rather, the man of lawlessness, son of perdition. And really, he's a type of all kinds of rulers of the world who exalt themselves against God. And I could think of Hitler when he arose in Nazi Germany. He seduced the church with flattery and promises of influence. And the church, much of the church, followed after him in blind uh, allegiance. Some, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the Confessing Church, moved away from that. But there's been so many times when the world uses that. And so what's our takeaway lesson? Our takeaway lesson here, there's two big things that I want us to see. And there's a lot of weeds here. And I know I spent a lot of time on details that probably aren't that important at the end of the day, although they are in God's word for a reason. The two things we could take away is one is God is the absolute Lord of history. There's nothing going on in the world today. No ruler rising to power or falling, no conflict or battle over which God is not the Lord. God is the Lord of everything. He rules and reigns over the affairs of men and the history of the world, and he moves things according to his will. It's also true that people are making choices and they're responsible for their choices because throughout this chapter we see people making choices, plotting things, making alliances, entering into marriages. They're doing what they're doing and it really is them doing it, but God is sovereign over all. So people do what people do, but they never overthrow God's sovereignty or undermine his plan because it's all part of the unfolding of his plan. So that's lesson number one. And lesson number two is... Don't compromise with the world for the sake of peace or, or position or honor or even freedom. Because when you do that, you end up seduced into your own destruction. Compromise with the world leads to being spiritually lukewarm, being corrupt, being unfaithful to God. Let's pray. Lord, help us to trust you that you are the sovereign Lord over all history. Help us to trust you. There's so much in this chapter we don't fully understand. There's so much going on in the world right now that we don't understand. We don't understand what's going on in Israel and Gaza and Ukraine with Russia in, in Sudan and in Haiti and in Sri Lanka and all these places around the world where there are conflicts and there are wars and there are battles. And we don't know what you're doing, but we know you're in control. So help us to trust you and keep our hearts loyal to you loyal to following after you and finding our identity, our hope, our purpose, our calling, our strength in you and in you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Daniel chapter 11. I hope that was a blessing to you, and I hope you can join me tomorrow as we're going back to Isaiah. We're going to be finishing up Isaiah the next couple of days, chapter 65 on tap for tomorrow. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.